Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Good evening and welcome to The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell. My name is Cassie Tole, sitting in for Michael this evening. And of course, today we are discussing unemployment. And we saw yesterday the results that were released of the latest quarterly labor force survey indicated that the unemployment crisis is getting worse every single day. And of course, we now have to deal with the big questions of how are we going to deal with it. So over the next hour, we'll really be trying to unpack the issues relating to the unemployment crisis if you have any particular recommendations on what ought to be done if you've been personally affected by perhaps a retrenchment or a loss of a job in the past couple of months we'd like to hear from you what are the alternatives that you are pursuing and what should the country be doing at large i'll be joined by a couple of interesting guests who have particular insights to share on this so do join us for the next our also Afropolitans, so we can hear from you what you think we can do about this. This morning, of course, on David's show, we did interview the man who keeps giving us the scream detail, and this is the Stats SA General himself, Mr. Risenga Malulekim. We're going to play you a clip of that interview from this morning before we carry on with this very critical conversation. Just to analyze what we've got here, when we say 29% of people are unemployed, how many people is this? Firstly, let us say that the number may be shocking to members of the public and uh, certainly the number may be shocking even to you as a commentator, uh, David. Mm. But to the statistician general, no number is shocking because the public expects me to make all numbers available. The moment I get shocked or I have emotional attachment to these numbers, I will never make them available, and the public always has to know. Absolutely. Fair comment. Yeah, now this, yeah, please, please. This uh, 29% of unemployment means that 6.7 million people who are actively looking for employment, that is looking for employment four days in a row, for four weeks in a row, are actually unemployed. And that is what we call the official definition, which is rather a narrow definition in relation to the International Labour Organization uh, 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 definitions. So when you look at that definition, it doesn't include your discouraged work seeker. Mm. So when you include your discouraged work seekers, uh, and those are 2.7, that's 2.7 million more people who have looked for employment until they are discouraged and are no longer looking. And you add another 800,000 who have looked for employment, uh, I mean, who didn't look for employment for whatever reason, but would have taken employment had they found it. You're sitting at 10.2 million. That's what we call the expanded definition. And that sits at the unemployment rate at 38.5. We make it available for the public to know but our headline figure as adopted by the nation is the 29 point i mean the 29 percent which accounts for 6.7 percent and it's even more for women uh, while the 29 percent indicates less of 27 percent for men for women it's even 31 31.3 percent do we also look at is age uh, a factor here as well there would obviously be an age at which a person is expected to start earning a salary or becoming employed. Where do you start this, the, uh, the survey at? Is it the age of 16, 15? Where would it start? It's the age of 15. Uh, remember that uh, Basic Conditions of Employment Act says it is illegal to hire anyone under the age of 14. Yes. Which means that if you are 15 years and above up to 64, you can take up employment if for whatever reason you are not at school. But when you are at school, we don't include you. So when we release these figures, we always indicate the other not economically active. And those ones are not included in this 29%. Uh, They are not even included in the expanded definition. We take them out. And students, people who are relatively younger, account for 41%, 40.6% to be exact. But there are also people who will say they are too young or too old to work. 
they also separately who are not studying they're just saying i'm too young or too old to work even when they are over the ages of 15 uh, those ones form another 10 percent 9.7 percent to be exact and the cutoff then 64 i think is where we are saying that people um are, are no longer working is that the right Certainly. okay it's it's 15 to 64 years. 15 to 64. But interestingly, as you've now broken down the way uh, you compile the unemployment rate, the, the actual number, because often we get so many different numbers thrown at us, and I'm glad you've clarified the difference between the 29%. So that's the active job seeker versus 38.5% where you are now including the discouraged work seekers. And uh, uh, I'm sorry to ask you to repeat, you gave a number of 800,000. Who was that? What, uh, who, comp- who was in that number? You can't be apologetic, uh, David, when you are asking this question. Uh, you assist us to reach out to the public. <laughs> That's fine. The, yeah, the 800,000 uh, are those who have other reasons for not searching for employment. Oh, so okay. the discouraged work seekers are clear. I'm discouraged. I'm tired. I can no longer look anymore. All right, that was the voice of the Statistician General, of course, delivering us the news this morning relating to our employment statistics. And, of course, the picture looks very, very dire. So we'd like to hear from you, of course, Afropolitans. Our studio line is 86 You can also tweet us at KFM95.9 or even email us, law at kfm.co.za. I also do have a couple of guests joining me. And the first guest is actually Mr. Gerard Papenfass, who joins me in studio, who is the chief executive of... Of NEASA. Can you just explain to us what NEASA is? First? It's, uh, it, it stands for the National Employers Association of South Africa. So definitely an affected party here, the National Employers Association of South Africa. And also joining us on the line is Mr. Joseph Montisetse, who is the president of NUM. Good evening, sir. Yeah, good evening and good evening to the listeners of Power FM. Now, I'd like to start with you, uh, Mr. Montesense. I mean, when you hear statistics of this nature being released on a quarterly basis and you obviously representing workers, what becomes your immediate reaction to numbers of this nature? Well, it is horrible. Um, the statistics show that uh, we are living for a disaster. Uh, but uh, from the National Union of Mine Workers' um, point of view, uh, we want to uh, blame the government. Uh, for what is happening, especially on the mining side. Because uh, in 2015, we signed what is called the 10 points plan uh, at uh, DMR level. Stakeholders, uh, members of the Chamber of Mines and Companies, and uh, all labor were there. Uh, in the 10 points plan, we have uh, strategized to say, what are we going to do? Uh, when uh, a company wants to uh, close, it must uh, report to the center, and then we must uh, check how can we help that company as a stakeholder. We even agree that uh, we will go out uh, to Asia and uh, Europe uh, to try uh, to talk to investors, to investors, because investors cannot just come. Sometimes they, they fear trade unions, they fear something that is not there. But uh, the problem is that that 10 points plan that we signed with Minister Ramakrod by there, uh, the two ministers that have come into the office, uh, they have not just bothered to uh, implement the 10 uh, points plan. The one other issue here is that uh, there are so many mines that are under uh, care maintenance. And from the mining point of view, when a company puts a mine under care maintenance, it is because that company wants to mine that mine in the future. So it makes workers to suffer. So we are saying the law must be amended that uh, a, a, a person who has been given uh, Section 11 the right to mine cannot just uh, decide to put the mine under care maintenance. If uh, he wants to leave the mine, he must sell the mine so that the investors can come and, 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 and mine. The other thing is this issue of the uh, business rescue and liquidators. These people, they don't have time. Uh, line. Uh, he can be there for three years to five years. So the law must be amended. We have made that submission uh, to the Portfolio Committee of Minerals in Parliament. That the law must be amended, that uh, these people must be given timelines 
because they are making money there, they don't care. So liquidator will sit there, even if there are some bidders who want to take the mine, he will play tricks uh, because he wants to accumulate more money. So that is the situation that we are facing. Uh, it needs to be fixed in terms of policy and law. Now, Mr. Montesetze, you're saying that, I mean, you're blaming the government for not keeping up to at least the spirit of the 10-point plan, but I suspect that one of the defenses that the government would lodge is that, look, you can sign up for a particular plan, but in an industry like the mining industry, perhaps, it is subject to so many externalities, it is subject to so many other conditions that we probably don't have the latitude or the capacity to control. I mean, that could have been the reason that we ended up here. What would your answer be to that? Well, uh, if uh, this 10-point plan was followed to the latter uh, by making sure that companies account who want to close the mine for liquidation or for care maintenance. Uh, collective ideas from stakeholders will make sure that uh, that does not happen uh, or it is happened as an alternative. Because in the 10 points play, we even said that the, an industry which is called uh, rehabilitation, uh, where there's even a fund that is put aside for that, it is sitting there, it is not utilized. But if that was happening, we will rather, when a mine closed, we then open an industry of uh, rehabilitation and people can be hired for uh, working in the rehabilitation. As you know that uh, there in, in other mines, there's a lot of um, ghost mines like Stillfontein and Flagstop uh, where uh, nothing has not been put uh, rehabilitated. So we think that that is the problem. Another problem is the problem of globalization. Uh, after 1994, uh, we opened for mines to take billions of money to invest in stock exchange of London and, 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 and New York Stock Exchange. Many more companies like Angle Gold Ashanti, it has closed almost uh, 92% of its operation in South Africa. They are operating in Ghana and Guinea. That's why Donald Trump in the United States of America has come with a law of protectionist. You cannot just allow people to take billions or trillions from your country and invest otherwise somewhere else when those millions were made by the people in the country. You have to have a law which is put a ceiling to say a company that has accumulated such billions from this country cannot take such billions, all of them, and invest in another country. Yeah, definitely. Some very interesting points there, Mr. Montesense, and we're going to come back to you on some of those issues. And of course, I mean, the questions around globalization, protectionism, and even um, increasing legislation are highly, are highly contested issues. Some people would say we are overregulated enough already, which is why some people are running away. And some people obviously have a different view. I'd like to bring in Mr. Gerard Papenfuss into the conversation now. Uh, and I mean, Mr. Papenfuss, you've listened to um, the National Union of Mine Workers. What exactly is the first reaction? that your organization tends to have when you hear that yet again in this quarter we've, and, and we've recorded a decline in employment and a rise in unemployment. I mean, how do we deal with it? Well, we, we've, uh, we're seeing this trend uh, uh, coming from, 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 from the past. It's coming, approaching us uh, from a distance. And it's continuing, so it's, uh, it is, uh, Mr. Mondesetsi says it's horrible, so we can say we agree it's horrible, uh, although it's not unexpected. Uh, um, you know, uh, we, when you, when you continue, continue doing the wrong thing, uh, you cannot uh, expect a different result. Uh, and I think in many respects we are continuing uh, doing the wrong thing. Um, you know, business create, create jobs. No, nobody else. Uh, business create jobs. And uh, uh, we, we need to create an environment uh, in which business uh, wants to create jobs. And uh, as long as we don't do that, uh, business is not going to create jobs. So uh, we can expect that uh, um, uh, we, th- this was expected. Although it's it's severely bad news. 
I mean, we talk about the business um, in which, uh, you know, um, the environment in which business thrives. But a lot of people would say that, you know, South African laws are probably the most progressive in the world. They do have the benefit of having been crafted long after perhaps a lot of the modern um, world countries where had put their laws in place. So a lot of people always say that we're very progressive. Now, when you say that, you know, we need an environment where business can create jobs. Do we not have that environment already? You know, it, it, all, it all depends what you, what you mean when you say uh, uh, our, la- our laws are, are progressive. Uh, um, you know, our labor laws, for instance, which is, uh, which is a huge point of contention, um, is, might be pro- progressive, but it's too progressive. It is, uh, it, is, it, is, uh, uh, it is structured for developed economies. Uh, empl- uh, economies where there's no unemployment. Um, uh, we, we can't afford what we have at the moment. I mean, our, our uh, uh, labor laws, and this is just one of the things that uh, uh, we think negatively impact employment, uh, but our labor laws is, uh, is uh, structured in such a way that it puts business off. It makes it very hard uh, not to employ but to to dismiss now in a part of employment is dismissal uh, every time you employ somebody you run the risk of that uh, relationship turning sour uh, there's a chance there's a certain percentage of 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 employment relationships that do not work out and it's be, it is becoming a very expensive and risky affair for business so um you know when when our labor laws were written uh, in uh, in the mid nineties, uh, you know, the people that led this drive uh, were uh, progressive trade unionists and uh, and uh, academics in Germany. Now, Germany sits with a and our, our labor law is very similar to that of Germany, and uh, Germany sits with a unemployment rate of between one and two percent. Uh, you cannot. I mean, there are certain things in our labor law that's so impractical that's not not even utilized at all. Uh, because it's for it is for developed economies. So this is just one area. So if we say our labor laws, our laws are progressive, might be so, but we need a different style, and we can go into many of these things, many of the reasons for the for unemployment. But uh, you know, the the fact is, if you if you look at the thing, the issue of small business, uh, if there's one area where we can create jobs in South Africa, that is in the area of small business. And uh, um, whereas the, the, the trend in the world is that uh, above 90% of modern economies consist out of small businesses. And these small businesses employ 60 to 7%, 70, 60 to 70% of employees in, in the country. Yeah. In South Africa, that figure is below 30%. Now, we must go and look out for that reasons because if we change that, uh, these small businesses... I have the potential to turn this thing around. But I mean, those small businesses would have to apply the same legal paradigms that the big businesses apply. So if the fundamental hindrance is that the labor laws are perhaps too restrictive, would those laws be perhaps more, um, I don't know, more easier for small business to navigate? Or doesn't the problem just, you know, recur either way? Well, it it is. But, you know, it's, uh, well, well, our, we advocate that, that labor laws needs to be less stringent for everybody. Um, you know, we cannot, uh, we, we, we're protecting employees so much against the risk of dismissal that, they, that we've succeeded in keeping them uh, out of uh, employment altogether. So you know, <laughs> when, you, when you start working, you cannot, no work is guaranteed. And what we're almost doing is to say, you start working at a place and we, we try to guarantee your job. It, it cannot be guaranteed. So um, I, I think two things happened with uh, too strict labor laws. It is, uh, is the fact that it, uh, it, it, it puts business off to employ. And secondly, it actually has a den- downward pressure on wages because you need to build in the risk of, of, of the employment relationship turning sour. You need to build in that risk 
in, in the wage. So it's not actually, the, the, the protection is actually not that good for employees. But this is just one issue. Okay, no, we're definitely going to come back and ventilate on that issue because I think, um, I mean, the issue around labor laws, so a lot of people say that you have to come back and look at why the labor law regime was created in a particular way. But that is something that we can uh, ventilate on after the break. Afropolitans, which is going to take a short break before we carry on with this conversation about the unemployment statistics. Kaya FM. Kaya FM. 95.9. Home of the Afropolitan. Welcome back, Afropolitans. This is the Law Report, not with Michael Motuning Bill, but with Kasi Tolle standing in for Michael tonight. We're talking about unemployment and, of course, the depressing numbers that we saw yesterday. Earlier on, we played a clip of an interview with the head of Stats SA, who is the man that has the tough task of having to tell us every quarter exactly what the state of employment in the country is and every time he stands up and tells that he leaves everybody equally unhappy. We also have two guests joining us. We're speaking to the president of Noom. This is Mr. Joseph Montesetze and also in studio we are joined by this chief executive officer of NEAA, NEASA Mr. Gerard Papinfas. We'd like to hear from you of course 86 what you think the solution is going to be to the unemployment crisis. Some people Mr. Gerard in particular says that the labor regime is far too restrictive. We've created labor laws that serve as a deterrent to people onboarding workers. And of course, that is not helping. And if you have the type of laws that are restrictive in nature, it means that the capacity to absorb people into the workforce, particularly in times where the economy is not exactly booming, those issues are not resolved overnight. That is an opinion that he has. You can also tweet us on at KFM 95.9. We'd just like to hear what you think really needs to be done going forward. In three months' time, we'll have another report. Do you think the situation will be better? If so, what makes you think that? And if the situation is not getting any better, what would you recommend to the people that perhaps have the capacity and the ability to make things happen? Mr. Papenfels, I mean, before we went on the break, we were talking about perhaps the labor law regime being one of the issues that is probably not assisting in this particular instance. Now, of course, the big problem with labor laws in South Africa is that they have a genesis where previously workers really were at the risk of being exposed the workers always remained at the risk of not having job security. So perhaps the designing and the drafting of those laws was to ensure that we really didn't have that as a permanent risk. And I think when we talk about people onboarding workers, there's always, as you said, the inherent risk that the relationship will go sour. But I think uh, if a person works on the basis of always thinking about the risk of things going sour, you might not end up employing anyone else. We've got particular mechanisms. You vet the people before you, you employ them, you assist them. So I think that risk is indeed reduced. So on that basis, I would say that perhaps the labor laws are not the things that keeps people from employing other people. What are the other issues? Um, <clears throat> the, uh, they are, let's discuss the things that uh, we think uh, is uh, impacting on, 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 on the bad news we received yesterday. Um, the um, I think the uh, there's a there's a bit uh, we we're living in a bit of a skeptic business environment. Uh, business, uh, you know, just yesterday I read an article about the amount of money that's currently leave streaming out of the country. Now every rand that's leaving the country has an impact on a job somewhere. Um, that money we need to bring money back into the country. We need to bring uh, investment back. As an employer's organization, uh, we, we see how many businesses close every month. Uh, we, we see how many, how many businesses just simply get fed up and say, we, we, we're out of this. We, we see businesses relocate and open a shop across our borders, going to Lesotho, Botswana, Mozambique. There are, you know, and people are using this situation. We're talking about, uh, you know, economic zones uh, for, uh, formed in other countries very close to our borders. People uh, opening shop in Mauritius, who has a very business-friendly uh, dispensation. Now, now, you know, if what what are the issues that that puts business off, and government will have to ask that question. Uh, what is the things that uh, that makes business uh, want to withdraw their investments? Uh, so uh, we, we need to make this, uh, we must attract business, we must make sure that each and every businessman in South Africa feels welcome, uh, not being made out as if, you know, you know commit some crime uh, because you're actually employing people. Uh, this is this is a very a very very important element of our system is, is, is employers. Um, 
the band that employs, you know, in in uh, in Germany, uh, they refer to the, uh, the the organization that is similar to to our organization. Uh, they uh, they talk about the the, the workgeber, werkgeber. That's a that's a beautiful thing, and we must make that that organization is very very welcome. Um, we need to transform our education system. We need to start right at the bottom, and I think we need to even start before that. I mean, uh, creating right the right attitude in terms of in terms of work, what we expect out of life, what you must do in order to succeed in life is something that starts in your house. You know, if you expect uh, that you, something will come to you without you making the the necessary input in life, you start off wrong. So, uh, the situation in the home. An education system that needs to be changed completely, and I think when, when we say we've got a failed education system, that is not completely entirely true because it's not 100% failed. There are schools that's actually working, but we need to transform our education system. We need to root out corruption completely. Uh, there is no, we need to live and establish a society where there is not a place for a single body that commits corruption. Um, uh, and and the the the, the bloodletting that's happening in our parastatals need to stop. I, I mean, yesterday there was an article by uh, Claire Bissiker who says, you know, um, uh, ESCOM is cannibalizing the country. You know, this is a predicament. I don't know how we're going to get out of this thing. And I said to somebody, can you imagine a whole country is in the grip of this monster? And we don't know how to get out of this thing. Yeah. Uh, um, so the bloodletting uh, in our parastatals need to stop. We can no longer afford to employ people that is not productive. I mean, you know, one of the elephants in the room in Eskom is the 40,000 employees that's not productive in government. Talk around. I think the some issue. of them must be productive. Perhaps not all forty thousand, but <laughs> well, yeah, well, some well, must be. Well, well, no, 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 no. They are productive employees. But I think, what is the figure that? that to what extent are they overstaffed? I say forty thousand might be twenty five thousand, and and this is the elephant in the room. How is government uh, going to get rid of them? Um, how, what are we going to do? You know, and then we need to empower small and medium sized uh, enterprises, and and uh, we can talk. We can spend a bit of time on what must we do to get people to because that is the outcome this is the uh, this is the solution for a lot of people that to start something and start look after himself but and and we need to change the mindset first of all for people uh to um to, to start realizing they have to look after themselves Mr. Montesenza, I'd like to bring it back into the conversation. I mean, the question around labor laws, uh, Mr. Papenfassi is of the opinion that they're far too restrictive. Is this the experience that you've had in your engagements with your stakeholders at around noon? Mr. Montesenza, are you still there? Okay, I think we've lost him for a bit, so we'll carry on with this conversation. And if you want to join us, Afropolitan, you can call in on 86 to talk about these issues relating to the latest unemployment statistics. Now, Mr. Papenfuss, I mean, yeah, we do obviously have to deal with some of the underlying structural issues. And as you correctly highlighted, perhaps the labor law regime is one of those um, particular issues that needs to probably be looked at. Whether it's going to amount to an overall restructuring of the labor laws is something that is probably a conversation that's going to take a long while for us to get there. But of course, the crisis is now. The crisis is immediate. Yeah. What is it that we can start thinking about and saying perhaps these are the low-hanging fruits? And I'd like you to think about that for now. I will try and get hold of Mr. Montesensa again. Sir, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Yes, just the question that we had for you. I mean, um, our guest in studio is saying that, look, perhaps the labor laws are one of the things that are really um, restricting uh, people from employing, uh, um, you know, employing people in the, in, in the economy. And if we look at perhaps how the labor law regime is structured, it might just unleash some potential in the economy. What's been your experience in the engagements that you've had with your stakeholders around that question? Well, uh, from our side, um we don't believe that is the truth. Uh, because to start with, um, South African uh, law in terms of um, investors to come to this country is very much uh, flexible compared to other countries. I mean, uh, you go to Botswana, the Gears, and uh, the copper mines in Philippa where it's owned 100% by government, 
the BL's government got 51%, and and the BL's got 49%. You go to uh, Ghana, uh, Agul Ashanti is sharing with the government of Ghana. We are here speaking about sharing money from production. But in South Africa, we give these people everything. They took this platinum 100%. They took this diamond 100%. It belongs to them. They sell. They do whatever they want to do about this money. But they want to exploit workers because this is the flexibility that they are speaking about, that we have to remove uh, the policies, that uh, the, the laws that protect workers from... They want to dismiss as they wish. They don't want CCMA for certain cases. That's what they have submitted. And uh, so it, it, it's crazy. Yeah, we can't agree to that. Um, South Africa is open for investment. Anyone who comes here to invest in mining, he knows very well that uh, he's going to make a lot of profit. Uh, because he's going to uh, own this uh, mine 100% without government getting anything except uh, just the tax. Uh, Mr. Modestense, I think your answer relates to more the questions around ownership and really what the profit share is. But I think the key issue that we're trying to sort of look into here is are the laws that regulate how a person gets employed and gets dismissed, are those laws themselves serving as a deterrent from empl- for employers to say, look, because it's so difficult for us to say this relationship is not working, please can you exit our employment? We'd rather not hire the person at all. Of course, the laws here are, are good, um, even though the laws will never be 100% good. But uh, you must remember that we are coming from a very, very brutal regime. And we have worked very hard uh, to develop these policies, especially basic conditions of employment, uh, which speaks about uh, how many hours a worker should work, and also uh, the issue of overtimes, and uh, also uh, the issue... Uh, of skill development, uh, which uh, employment equity, these laws were actually done deliberately to protect workers and employers because laws, labor laws in South Africa are not done by uh, government alone. It is done by network, which uh, comprises uh, both business, uh, labor, and, 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 and government. So there's no reason that uh, business people can come and say the law does not favor them while they are represented in Netflix. The Labor Relations Act, for example, dates back from 1995 and the Basic Conditions of Employment Act from 1998, if I'm correct. Is there a valid uh, proposition that says that perhaps the law has changed since then that requires us to revisit these laws? The law can be visited if the law is not going to be uh, marginalizing any group. If it, if it is for the benefit of both business and uh, and, 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 and and workers, then we, we are not allergic to any amendment. But any amendment which uh, wanted uh, to make uh, easy for employer just to uh, dismiss workers, we can't agree to such an, uh, an amendment. You must understand that uh, even today, many mine workers who are working in the mines are falling under subcontracting. Uh, they are low paid, and uh, also conditions of employment are not conducive. Uh, many of the subcontracting uh, don't have even a pension fund and provident fund. We are fighting every day for such things to be introduced. Their salaries are very low. So there's nothing here uh, which can be uh, regarded as uh, police uh, laws uh, uh, favoring uh, workers in the expenses of, of business. It's just that, uh, as you know, that uh, many a times um, when you get liberation, there will be a war against the regime. Uh, if it is not a war uh, of uh, weapons, which uh, cause bloodshed, like, like in Angola and Mozambique and elsewhere, it will be a law of economy, uh, economic law, like Zimbabwe has been collapsed by the same business people uh, because Mugabe wanted uh, people to have land. And he wanted uh, implemented the indigenous law whereby government should get 59% from business. So uh, this is a war that is declared against the government of South Africa uh, by the imperialists.
Yeah, right. Some very interesting points that are being raised. And I'd like to bring the conversation back to you, Mr. Papin Fazamin. Earlier on, I did ask the question, do we have any low-hanging fruits? Because clearly, there's a conversation that is not an overnight uh, solution. It's not an overnight discussion. What do we do in the immediate aftermath of seeing those types of statistics? You know, if, <coughs> if, um, if you're talking about low-hanging fruit, uh, uh, we, we know that uh, if you can bring about, in terms of legislation, uh, a slight amendments um, to, to legislation, which is not easy because, uh, as uh, Mr. Mondesetsi said, uh, you know, you think Mr. Mondesetsi talk about net lag. Now, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is a bit of a problem. We sit in net lag with uh, business represented by Business South Africa uh, in NEDLAC. And Business South Africa represent uh, very large companies. Uh, and that's the voice uh, in NEDLAC. And uh, the, 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 the business dynamics uh, in the transnets and in the banks uh, and in SAA, etc., is completely, completely different to a business employing 5 to 10 to 20 people. Now, you know, 90% of businesses in South Africa employ 20 or less people. The dynamics there, and that voice is not heard in uh, in, uh, in in NetLAC, and, and that is very unfortunate. So, the, you sit in NetLAC in a situation where big trade unions are negotiating with uh, Business South Africa. Now, now I'm not I'm not part of uh, Business South Africa in the house, although we represent uh, thousands of businesses, uh, and 90% of our businesses are actually. Uh, 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 small businesses, but also we have a couple of big businesses. So w- the 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 the, um, the result of the negotiations in in Netlag is not uh, the reflection of what South Africa actually needs. So you know when I talk about uh, uh, the launders missile, I'm not talking about just chasing people away. I'm talking about, uh, uh, um, for instance, the the law surrounding probation. If you if you say you can uh, dismiss a person in the first year, uh, as long as you have just follow uh, some form of a procedure, just hear him out for a year, even six months, just to give the parties an opportunity to get to know each other. Um, uh, just if you touch on or deal with probation, and then a thing that absolutely need urgent a- attention in South Africa is the law and collective bargaining where uh, big business and trade unions do deals and then extend those deals to SMMEs. That is uh, a fatal flaw in our uh, labor laws and it protects monopolies. It is it is built for big trade unions and big business and uh, that need to change. And, uh, and unfortunately, when, you, when that is dealt with in NetLag, the very role players that will be negatively affected by changing the, the, the laws on collective bargaining, uh, that, just, that just doesn't go through. But that's low-hanging fruit in terms of legislative changes. Um, in terms of what do we do without the labor, labor, uh, 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 legislative changes, then we need to focus on the attitudes of business in terms of perseverance. Just stick it out, fight hard, never give up, because what else is there to do? Yeah, definitely a lot of very, very difficult questions that we need to deal with. And of course, we're going to carry on uh, the last segment of this show just after the short break. I am Afropolitan. Afropolitan. Kaya FM. Kaya FM. 95.9. Welcome back, Afropolitans. This is The Law Report, and my name is Kaisi Tolis, sitting in for Michael today. We are talking about unemployment statistics. We heard this morning, well, the statistician general was on air this morning, sort of unpacking the latest unemployment data for us. 29% is the official unemployment rate, the highest it's been since 2003. They are essentially more than 10 million people that are sitting out there trying to find a job but unable to do so. It is definitely a crisis and it is a crisis that needs to be fixed very soon. We'd like to hear your views and right now we are joined on the line by Lee from Johannesburg. Good evening, Lee. Hi, Kai. How are you? All good? Yeah, I'm okay, man. Um, I, I, I am not a business person getting away. Um, but I feel we're all affected by the stats, you know, um, and I think Mr. Mr. Popham was 
has a point that we protect so much of employees' rights, you know, to the point where business stands still, you know, because there isn't an incentive on performance. There isn't an accountability, almost, you know, of performance. And so why do I open my shop? Why do I, why must I employ people? You know, it's almost a white elephant. What can we do? What can we do, Lee? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a hard question. There has to be an accountability, you know, because I have to be guaranteed my job as far as I am committed. You know, there shouldn't be this thing where I know my rights. But what about my performance? You know, and so I think there has to be a give and take. There has to be something that business gets out of this whole thing. There has to be something that makes sense for the business person to create jobs. I don't know. Just a thought. Thank you, Lee. That is definitely some important insights. And of course, it's going to be a game of concessions. Mr. Motisense, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation here. I mean, we are now talking about the question of what are the low-hanging fruits. Earlier on, you said that the government is to blame for its inability just to stick to the cause, its inability to protect industries like the mining industry. You even mentioned some of the mines that are under cane maintenance. Perhaps we should have a regime where no mine is under cane maintenance. If a person says, I can't afford to operate it, well, just sell it to the next person. Are these the types of low-hanging fruits that we should be pursuing and what impact would they have on the overall picture? Uh, the hanging fruits are the mines that are uh, under care maintenance, like I have said, because the care maintenance means that this person is just uh, breaking time. Uh, he will come back to this mine. So if those mines, all of them that are under care maintenance, don't say so that investors can come and open them. That will mean that it's going to create a lot of works. Again, if we can deal with the issue of uh, business rescues and liquidators to put timelines, even if it is two years, but if two years is too long, one year, that we put you here one year to rescue this business, if uh, you don't restore it within uh, one year, you are out. Then... Uh, these people will know that they have to discharge their duty. So uh, we are sitting here very open. I think uh, we're losing you there a bit. By a person has come and accumulated a wealthy from the mine and even go further. You will understand Aurora. Uh, the liquidators and the Aurora strip off the mines uh, in the eastern Rotsway gold mine, uh, uh, selling assets. And uh, after that, the mine cannot be bought by anyone because it's a of assets. So these are the things that we need to fix if we want to uh, make sure that the employment is, is there. And again, the issue of uh, Section 189, uh, I hear uh, the, 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 the guest is there say, uh, stressing more about dismissal. You know, according to Labor Relations Act, uh, Section 189, within 60 days, they can dismiss 10,000 workers. The law gives them that right for operational uh, uh, reasons. So we also push in for, 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 for amendment of that, such, such a law that uh, it must not be consultation. It must be uh, engagement between the trade union uh, and management and come with a solution. Because consultation is just a consultation. So these are the things that need to be fixed in order to protect employment in this country. Earlier on, you spoke about Donald Trump and his protectionist stance, and obviously he operates in an economy where perhaps the United States is in control of a lot more avenues of the economy than control of a lot more of the inputs and the variables. Do you think South Africa has the same latitude or the same bargaining power to actually then say, look, if we are losing jobs, this is what we're going to do? If you follow up uh, events in the United States of America, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not a uh, supporter of Donald Trump. But if you follow up on what he has done, he has created more jobs uh, because he has called upon companies 
that have uh, relocated to China and Japan and others have put tax on them that if they don't come back, relocate to America, we put tax on them. And uh, that has worked uh, because more companies have gone back uh, to the United States because they cannot afford to pay such a tax when they are paying tax even in countries where they are. Protectionist is a policy that uh, is, is important, especially when we speak about the developmental state. You cannot uh, drive a developmental state whereby you have an open-ended uh, kind of uh, globalization policies, which we call them neoliberal, where they said you have to uh, open your gate uh, so that anyone can take money from the country to another country. It's wrong. That thing. Again, on top of that, uh, we have to understand that uh, we have a lot of minerals that are exported to many countries. And these minerals are opening uh, jobs for many, many people in Asia and uh, in Europe. So this cannot only be done by investors. Hence, from my preamble, I said I blame the government somehow in this crisis. Why government cannot learn from other countries like China, where government can start factories, whereby they can partnership with some investors that come from Asia uh, to start some more factories so that our minerals here can be, can, be, can be turned into a finished product. There's not any country which can have uh, 90% employment if it exports its raw material. This has been proven uh, in a book written by Renat Riennes, uh, who is an economist, uh, in the in in, in, in Oxford, uh, in his book, uh, how uh, rich countries stay rich and how poor countries stay poor, he spoke about an issue whereby uh, a country exports its raw material and dreams that uh, it will become rich. You know, uh, each and a country which wants to become rich is must utilize its material to turn it into a, uh, and that cannot be done by 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 by, 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 by an investor alone. The government must lead in terms of uh, 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 creating beneficiation in this country. Yeah, definitely beneficiation is one of the ideas that has been mooted as possibly one that can create more jobs internally or perhaps retain more of the economic value chain within the borders of the country. Why it hasn't been done, of course, when it's something that everybody's been saying is a particular solution remains a mystery. We now have Siabonga joining us from Eastern. Good evening, Siabonga. Hi, how's it? All good. All right. Listen, you know my take on, on, on unemployment is that there are sectors which are not properly regulated. I speak about the private sector. I'm a contractor that has been in the fiber optic fiber space for more than seven years. And I've, I, I, in seven years, I can't afford buying a bank of cash from the money that I got from fiber. But I tell you now, the companies maybe, as a, you get four subcontractors. You're a subcontractor, a sub, you never get an opportunity to, to, to climb the ladder. Uh, there are systems which they've created to block, especially black contractors, into going up there, you know. Now, as a result, a lot of us try business where we employ a lot of people. I mean, there's a time where I, I, I employed about 100 people working for me, you know. But because they're, they're giving me nothing, the peanuts, peanuts is even better, you know, to what we are getting. And the margins which are made by people which are higher there, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm going to name drop. There's a company called DFA, that's Fiber Africa. DFA pays uh, for trenching a meter 500. If I go to DFA directly, I need to have a couple of millions in my account for me to get the work. Uh, underneath DSA, maybe there's another company, SADV. SADV, for me to be their main contractor, I need to have 20 buckets. I, I won't be using 20 buckets. I need to have 20 buckets. I need to have uh, 8 million in my account. Now, as a black contractor, that becomes difficult. So it means that that gap is closed by people that are already affording, people that don't know the work. And what happens is, what they ask me to provide, document-wise, for me to, to, to get work. The, 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 if, I'm, if there's number one, I'm number four as a contractor. Number, number three, number four, I'm using my documents to get to number four. You know, uh, 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 my PPE list 
go to the to the to number one to say that okay we've complied but I am buying PPE. Uh, my my public liability. I'm paying for it. They take it to number one and say we are complying. You know. So you, you, you look at the margins that you are making. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of fiber work that has been happening around SA, you know. But I will tell you now, uh, the contractors which are actually doing the work are, are not getting anything, you know. So if you speak about unemployment, there are fat cats which have found a system to make more money and frustrate contractors. Now, you know, the, uh, one of the the, the systems, well, the, way we do business in South Africa is that we are copycat, you know? If I open this plaza, my Kelvin opens this plaza. Now, I'm into fiber, everyone is getting into fiber space. Now, they, they know that there will be another contractor waiting uh, to be ripped off for that uh, a year or so, and another one will come, and the job is done on, the, on their side. And they've made a lot of money, you know, once you go back empty-handed. Yeah, definitely a lot of issues that Siabonga raises there and the question of how big businesses tend to squeeze out smaller players and really make it impossible for them to thrive. And of course, when we want small businesses to thrive, we know very well it has, it has very strong and positive correlations for employment, as you said earlier on, Mr. Papenfuss. I mean, just the final sentiments from you, um, Mr. Montesensis, of the opinion that we are perhaps far too liberal. Uh, is that a case? Well, let me, let me just respond to this. This is one thing, this one thing I agree with uh, this is the issue of uh, beneficiation but you know we we export our raw materials and import our finished products and uh, 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 but but you know the market will dictate whether we can change that around you know we're talking about Asia what will what will uh, inspire a uh, Asian businessman to come and, and manufacture here instead of there uh, he wants an environment to make it from e- very easy for him and that that's the bottom line um, it is it is it is quite challenging to manufacture here and compete with the world. Uh, it's not impossible. There are actually some that that uh, certain businesses that manage to do that because we still export. But uh, if if we can get to the point where we 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 won't be easily to change it around, but to really start manufacturing it because this is the this is the bottom line. We need to manufacture. If you want to beneficiate, you need to manufacture. You must you must improve the product and sell it. Um, but the market will always dictate whether that is actually possible, because if 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 the product you make here manufacturing is too expensive for the world market, you're out of business. So uh, um, and and that book that comes down is comes back to the question: Is our environment conducive to exactly do that? Yeah, and that is obviously one of the big questions that we're going to have to deal with in that there's going to be consequences one way or another. Now, of course, if we even have the productive capacity to make these things happen and to then say, look, if we're going to try and do it internally, there might be costs that are probably higher than where production is currently happening. Will the end users be able to absorb the increased price or does this become what you might call the social burden where, for example, I could get a loaf of bread from across the road for 10 rand, but if I do it internally and employ someone who lives in my house might cost me 12 rand but there's two people with a job in the house yeah yeah so i think that's going to be one of the ongoing conversation talking points that we're going to be dealing with until this employment crisis is sorted and on that note i'd like to thank my guests mr joseph montesense from the national union of my own workers he's the president there and also mr gerard papenfuss who joined me in studio who's the chief executive office of neasa and not afropolitans this has been the law report thank you very much for joining us Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.